0: It's Wednesday, February 6th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today. Back. From a very long trip, which we will talk about. It's David Kretzmann. Thanks for being here. Great to see you, Chris. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to see you in one piece and upright. And I know the jet lag is already crushing you. Yes, <laughs> so
1: yes, that'll be my excuse if I say anything stupid or if I blank out for a few seconds. That's the reason.
0: We'll keep this tight, and then you can go catch a nap. Sounds good. Uh, we are going to talk about your trip, uh, but uh, we've also got earnings from Disney. We got to start with the stock of the day, and that is Snap miraculously, the stock of the day is Snap. Uh, shares up 27% this morning. Snap's fourth-quarter loss was not as big as expected. That counts as a win for this business. Um, they stopped the bleeding in terms of the user base. And uh, Look, for all the fun that we poke at Snap, That's I think that second one is both real and important, because the two previous quarters Snap was losing users. They stabilized that this time around.
1: Yeah, I mean, at least you stopped the bleeding. Right now you're at 188 million daily active users and the the stock is up, you know, over 26% as we're taping this, but that really is just bringing it back to where it was in September. So not not a ton to to celebrate if you are one of those unfortunate <laughs> Snap shareholders. But yeah, in the case of Snap, even though the loss was narrower than anticipated, I still don't see a whole lot to get excited about here because over the past year, in 2018, the company burned over $800 million in cash. And right now they're sitting at about $1.2 billion in net cash on the balance sheet. Maybe it's a little bit more than that. But essentially, with their current cash burn rate, they just have a runway of about 18 to maybe 24 months with their current cash on the balance sheet. So at some point, they're going to have to raise more money or just. Really accelerate the pace that they're narrowing that cash burn. So they are in a bit of a pinch. They're trying to do more, like they went through a redesign of the app through 2018, really trying to uh, point users more toward publishers, stuff from media outlets like NBC, CNN, and it seems like that's worked. They say that engagement is stronger. As we talked about, daily active users is stabilizing, but still, that's a far cry beneath the engagement that you see with Instagram or Facebook. Like they're just going up against titans in this space. And when you're burning money still at such a huge rate, and you're at this point, it's a win to just stop the bleeding. It's tough for me to get excited.
0: It is, and. Uh, you... Just to go back to the stock for a second, first recognize that this is one of the most heavily shorted stocks in the public market. So, uh, uh, some healthy portion of this boost that we're seeing today is short sellers saying, okay, I'm going to go ahead and cover my short. And as you said, I mean, this is the stock is back to where it was in September. This is a company that went public two years ago, the IPO price was 17. It's up big today and it's still under 9 dollars a share so it's I, yeah it's hard to get excited about this uh, unless they can truly you know they stop the bleeding if they come out 3 months from now and start to show some actual growth start to show an actual operating profit then maybe the narrative changes but for right now it's um this seems like one of those businesses where the clock is ticking. And as you said, it's <laughs> the clock is set for eighteen to twenty four months,
1: yeah. they're they're facing pressure in a lot of different ways. And then, in the meantime, you're seeing engagement. Users continue to to rise at a pretty incredible pace with Instagram, Facebook, these other social media platforms. So for Snap, I, I agree with you. They really need to find a way to to demonstrate to investors that that they are keeping the the, the platform relevant and making it increasingly relevant. And that that'll be something we track through daily active users, uh, time spent on the app, things like that. And this quarter, I guess is a is a start I mean it's it's flat quarter over quarter. Hopefully, they can tick that up and in the meantime continue to grow revenue, hopefully accelerate revenue, minimize losses, shrink that cash burn and that way that at least buys them more time to continue to to figure it out. but I still don't feel like they've found the formula that'll make them a sustainable business at this point.
0: Walt Disney Company's profits and revenue both came in higher than expected in the first quarter. Uh, You tell me what your headline is, because one thing that's getting a lot of attention is the uh, number of subscribers that Disney has for the ESPN Plus streaming app.
1: Yeah, ESPN Plus fits into this kind of new direct-to-consumer strategy, and now they're even breaking it out as a direct-to-consumer segment. So, it includes uh, their their new direct-to-consumer streaming offerings, the the theme parks. And that's the direction Disney should be moving. ESPN Plus has really been their first Fourier uh, specifically from Disney they also have had that stake in Hulu now it's a bigger stake uh, and obviously for me i think what we all should be watching is Disney plus which is kind of getting kicked down the road later in 2019 they're going to debut some of the original content for it and some of the features at an investor presentation in April uh, i was anticipating uh, Disney plus to to launch which is their direct to consumer streaming offering to to launch Earlier in 2019, like I was expecting that they would be ready to go as soon as they pull that content off of Netflix, which happened at the end of last year, that they would just be ready to launch that. But it's like, what? Seriously, you're waiting till the end of the year? That's a head scratcher for me.
0: Yeah, you're not the only one. <laughs> I know you <laughs> and
1: Emily talked um, about em- it. Emily yesterday. and I
0: talked about this, and you and you're absolutely not the only one who's looking at that and saying, okay. And you know, just to give a little bit more context, I mean, this is this is not the first delay that we've seen for this project for Disney. And uh, look, I'm a longtime shareholder, so I'm willing to continue to be patient and I want them to get it right. And if they get it right, then a year from now, two, three years from now, nobody's really going to care all that much that it came later in 2019 as opposed to earlier. But they really better get it right. Um, the, the ESPN Plus, the streaming numbers, uh, I feel like you could Argue either way on the success of that because on the one hand, it launched last April. They've doubled the number of subscribers; they're up to two million subscribers. That's nothing to sneeze at. On the other hand, it's hard not to just have the knee-jerk reaction to immediately compare that to Netflix subscribers and just say, okay, two million subscribers.
1: and what's what's a price point on ESPN Plus? Are you a? I am not. Are, yeah,
0: um, I think it's. I'm pretty sure it's single digits. Yeah, um, I feel like low single digit, low to mid single digits. Yeah, you know, like six ninety nine a month. Maybe yeah. for some reason that uh, number sticks in my head. Um, I'm sure there's at least one listener right now who's yelling at his or her phone, <laughs> saying, "No, it's, you guys it, should know this. You should know that." Uh, um, one thing that they have done, I think, pretty effectively, and it'll be interesting to see if they continue to do this is um, they've pulled some pretty nice promotional levers to get people into the ESPN Plus streaming app and i think that the bet that they're making there is a smart one which is essentially look if we get people to try this we feel like the experience is going to be good enough that they're going to stick with it and then we just get that recurring revenue month after month it's not a bad approach, and when you think about all of the sporting events that they've got under their umbrella, there are a lot of levers they can pull there.
1: yeah, and I think an optimist would look at it and i I would put myself into that camp. i'm I'm with you, I'm a shareholder, and I've been a little disappointed with Just the pace of the change here. Yes. Yes. But I feel like they are moving the right direction with this focus on direct to consumer. So it's like, okay, with ESPN Plus, you have a couple million subscribers. It's a much lower price point compared to Netflix. But ESPN Plus is also more of a niche offering. Uh, And along. With that, uh, D- Disney Plus should have you know a-, a much wider array of content. So once Disney Plus comes, that that'll be able to be offered at a higher price point. I would hope within a couple quarters, you would be able to get to two million subscribers with Disney Plus because Disney is being squeezed a bit now, because they're no longer getting the licensing fees from Netflix for the content that they had on Netflix. So, that's $150 million that Disney isn't getting right now. And then, in the meantime, they're also investing in original content for Hulu, Disney+, and ESPN+. Plus, So, they are going to be squeezed on an earnings level throughout 2019. Now, from a long-term perspective, these are absolutely the investments they need to make. But as a shareholder, you do have to be aware that, OK, this isn't going to be a year of earnings growth for for Disney. 2019 will be a year of reinvesting back in the business, reinvesting particularly in these direct-to-consumer offerings. I was just surprised, because I feel like by now they would at least have like a launch date ready for Disney+, Plus, but they're still being very ambiguous with that. So like you said they do need to get it right i feel like even if they do push this back further the the content is so strong and compelling there that they will be able to attract people but i would just hope that they would be able to do it sooner because keep in mind you know netflix launched the online streaming in january 2007 so, so Disney has just been very slow here, but better to to be slow and get it right than rush it out and just botch the the tech, botch the content. So for me, though, uh, that'll be the main thing to watch through the rest of the year.
0: It will be interesting to see at that uh, investor day in April if th- when they're unveiling some of the content, they also choose to. Share the launch date then, assuming yep. they have it by then. One other thing, just sort of this is getting a little bit in the weeds, but part of what we're seeing with Disney, and the stock is basically flat today. So, as it's been basically for the last 12 months, I mean, it's yep. sort of in that 105 to 115 range. It has been for a while now. I think you're right that this is going to be a year of investment for them. But also worth noting that movie studio revenue. For this quarter, down compared to the previous year, because the previous year had a Star Wars movie, had uh, uh, Thor Ragnarok. Um, you think about what's coming in the last three months of 2019. Um, what's going to be baked into the earnings report in terms of the movie studios? 12 months from now, you're going to have another Star Wars movie. Like it's, if they had a tough comp this time around, 12 months from now, it's going to be an easy comp. And and I would. Go ahead right now and bet on them to beat that.
1: Yeah, this should be a strong year for movies because what we have the the live action Lion King coming out this summer. You have Star Wars in December, so and that that's just like a fraction of the names.
0: Yeah, two <laughs> Avengers movies coming yeah. in the next couple of months. Those will so, probably do all right. Yeah, they'll do fine. Um, uh, before we get to your trip, uh, just a reminder, I mentioned this yesterday uh, for the dozens of listeners, uh, and hopefully we'll turn into at least a, a one or two dozen viewers uh, on Thursday. Uh, tomorrow, Thursday, February 7th, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, uh, we're going to be doing a market wrap show on YouTube. It's going to be live, so the potential for something to go terribly wrong is pretty darn high. Uh, it's going to be me, Andy Cross, Jason Moser. We're going to be taking uh, questions from the audience. We're going to be talking about um, some of the stocks making headlines after the closing bell tomorrow. So um, you can go to the Motley Fool's YouTube channel, which is just youtube.com/slash/theMotleyFool, and subscribe. And we'll see you. Thursday at four thirty PM Eastern. So you just got back, uh, and I don't remember. if I apologize. I don't remember if we talked about this before. But you have a very exciting new role here at the company. You are heading up Motley Fool Asia, um, and you just spent a couple of weeks on the road: Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan. Um, so again uh, sorry for the jet lag um, <laughs> yeah. what what are a couple of the highlights of your trip whether it's on the investing front or just sort of working with the teams that we've got on the ground in those places?
1: yeah I'd say the the overall highlight for me is just the chance to, to meet the teams uh, in each of those countries face to-face we do a lot of Skype meetings or a lot of conversations on slack but there's really there's never a substitute for that in-person interaction uh, so spent a week and a half in Singapore with our team there right now we have six full-time fools soon to be seven and, and growing there in Hong Kong we have one fool shout out to Hayes who's our solo <laughs> entrepreneur on the ground helping us scale uh, fool Hong Kong and then in Japan we have two uh, full-time fools and several contractors who are working with us. So in each of these countries, we're very much in growth mode, learning mode, and the, the opportunity to work with the, the awesome fools there in person was just um, there, there's no substitute for that. And then from an investing perspective, uh, hearing from uh, David Quo, who's uh, a long-time fool. He was with us in Fool UK, and then he moved back to Singapore and helped us launch Fool Singapore. Having several dinners with David, like one of the benefits of hanging out with David Kuo is he's not only a great thinker, a great investor, but he's also a foodie, and he knows where to take you. Even though I'm vegetarian and gluten-free, he's like, "Okay, I can find some options for you." The team was great accommodating my very challenging <laughs> dietary restrictions. So kudos to all of them. But having dinner with David several nights, he 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 would just explain to me how there's really this shift toward southeast asia for for a couple of different reasons and a lot of it stems from the issues that are going on in china so in china obviously we have the the potential trade war discussions possible tariffs that the us will levy on on china starting in march as high as like a 25% tariff on chinese goods so you have that headwind for for companies that are currently manufacturing goods in china and then you have another potential headwind for some manufacturers where labor costs are actually on the rise in in China as as the labor or as the workforce becomes more specialized and manufacturing gets more specialized with electronics or just whatever whatever it might be labor costs go up as labor gets more specialized so those two factors Combined is now causing some companies to explore shifting their manufacturing facility or at least diversifying their manufacturing base from China into Vietnam, Malaysia, other countries through Southeast Asia. So, David Kuo is, I would say, more of a top down type of investor. He likes to find those macro trends. And within Asia, I think there's kind of this secular shift from China. To Southeast Asia, when it comes to some manufacturing, and that that'll just open up a lot of opportunities long-term as these economies begin to develop, and you get more people in the workforce, and more discretionary income, and all those ripple effects that come from that. So that was just. Uh, an interesting conversation to have. And I'll also say, Happy Chinese New Year to everyone! Yes, Year of the Pig! Yeah, so fitting, fitting time to, to have the conversation uh, and, and to talk about Asia. But yeah, those are a couple of the, the takeaways for me.
0: Um, I appreciate that, despite your dietary restrictions, you very nicely uh, brought me a can of Pringles from Japan uh, from Japan and if I have this right uh, and I haven't uh, tried them yet but if I have this right the flavor is squid noodle do
1: I have that right I think that's right yeah Leia Melton who's one of our, our fools there her and Takashi one of our new contractors uh, in, in full Japan they they took me out uh, exploring around Tokyo before I hopped on my flight back to the US and we went through Don Quixote's which is a local department store it's a there's nothing quite like it <laughs> in the U.S. has a little bit of everything, and uh, we were looking at some of the unique Pringle flavors. And I was thinking about, you know, I need to bring some stuff back to HQ. I need to find some like bizarre flavors that you're not going to find anywhere in the U.S. And she was going through a couple of the flavors. She's like, "Yeah, this one is. Uh, it's like a squid spaghetti flavor." I'm like. That's the one there we go yeah I I don't think we've I don't think we've talked about that one on market foolery before so uh, maybe we can tweet out a picture of that to to the listeners on on Twitter but uh, yeah it, it, it was great I mean it was about a three week trip and obviously the focus was spending time with the team but also had some time to do a little bit of exploring and yeah, just for me, it's really uh, drinking from the fire hose right now. Learning about the the countries, uh, working with our teams, and then thinking about how we grow across Asia. And right now, we're just in Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan, and. Hopefully within a year or so, we'll be able to launch Motley Fool India. So, uh, a lot of exciting things happening within Asia, and I think here we also want to um, debut a new Twitter account. So, if you are on Twitter and you're interested in following the latest coverage and updates on Asia from Motley Fool, uh, we have the Motley Fool Asia Twitter account, and that'll be I think that'll be a hub for us on Twitter where we can just kind of synthesize the the coverage that we're doing in each of those three countries individually, and then. Uh, India down the road, and then we can share any uh, updates that are coming from the, those uh, countries as well. So, definitely give us a follow, and we welcome questions and feedback and all that stuff.
0: Great stuff. And, uh, and yeah, as you said, uh, definitely some exciting things coming. So, we'll uh, we'll definitely talk about those uh, on here as those come up. Absolutely! Looking forward to it! We didn't get a chance to talk uh, NBA trade deadline for our respective teams. Oh, so. just,
1: uh, tomorrow's <laughs> the day, right? That's the <laughs> deadline. So We'll see what happens.
0: David Kressman, thanks for being here! Thanks, Chris! As